And then grab a Bible and open up to page 903 if you're in the Pew Bible. It's going to be page 903. If you have your own Bible or a screen, it's John chapter 17. John chapter 17. If you're using a Pew Bible there, it's page 903. And I'm going to invite you to stand as I read our text for this morning. John chapter 17, page 903 on the Pew Bible, starting in verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me that they may be one even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved me, loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these that you have sent, uh, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me, may be in them, and I in them. Would you open up your hands with me in a posture of receiving? Well, releasing and receiving. And so, Lord God, we first release whatever it is that we're carrying, which may get in the way of us hearing from you this morning. 
hearing your truth, hearing your word, experiencing your spirit. And then we receive you this morning. We receive your word. We receive your spirit. May you meet us where we're at this morning and encourage us with your word, which is living and active. We pray these things in your precious and holy name. You may have a seat. My family and about half of Minnesota decided to go to the mall yesterday. And as we walked out of Shields in the Eden Prairie Mall, my daughter Avery and I came down the escalator, and sure enough, there was the, the Santa setup. I thought we had done away with that, but apparently they're still doing Santa. Crazy, right? And so we're coming down the escalator, and, and Avery's like, oh, cute, that kid's going to sit on Santa's lap. And I'm like, just wait. It's not going to be cute for long. So the parents put the kid on Santa's lap, and sure enough, the kids start screaming, and Santa's like, you know, this is just the awkward thing that happens. Like, why do we do this? Why do we subject our kids to some weird man that they've never met? And, and the parents are sitting there with their phones, like smiling, like, come on, smile. And the kid's just screaming bloody murder. And then they take him off. And then the next kid on his lap, this kid starts screaming as well. They take him off. And so if you're in that stage of life, my kids are past that stage of life. And I don't think we ever did it, actually, because my, my wife thinks that's weird. But if you're in that stage of life, and if that was your kid yesterday, and you're the parent with the phone, it's okay. No judgment here. Uh, but we all know this reality, right, of like trying to hand your kid off to somebody else. And, and there's, this, there's this kind of anxiety, whether it's dropping your kids off at the church nursery, whether it's getting your kids to go to school, whether it's putting your kid on Santa's lap. Some of us have experienced this, this like attachment nervousness when we try to give our kids away to someone else. John 17, it's like this beautiful picture of Jesus with a healthy attachment to God the Father, climbing up on his lap and talking to him without any level of anxiety. It's this intimate moment, this intimate picture of like a, a child on the lap of a parent. And I know we all have different stories, like as parents and as children, where that picture may not quite resonate with us. Maybe you didn't have a safe parent's lap to climb up onto and, and to be seen and to feel safe and soothed and secure. But this image of John chapter 17 it is, a, is an image of a healthy parent-child relationship where Jesus climbs up, metaphorically, he didn't actually climb up on his lap, right? Like, look at verse 1. It says, when Jesus had spoken these words, and that's, that's a summary of John 13 through 16, which we have been talking about for months. Jesus has been encouraging his, his disciples as to what the community of his looks like, a community of love, a community of service, a community of giving ourselves away for others. And so he's finishing that up, and this is his last conversation with the disciples and God the Father before he goes to the cross. So we get a window into Jesus' heart here in John chapter 17. In verse 1, it says, When he had finished speaking these words, he lifted up his high eyes to heaven. We talked about this last week, the posture of Jesus. It's like a, it's like a child looking up to the Father. And, and today, it's like Jesus is comfortable in the presence of God the Father, sitting on his lap, looking up to God, having this conversation with him, looking him in the eye, Jesus is feeling seen by God. Jesus feels soothed by God the Father. Jesus feels safe with God the Father, and Jesus feels secure with God the Father. These are, these are common in the therapy world for like healthy attachments, 
what it means to have a healthy attachment with a child and a parent. It's, it's when they are seen, soothed, safe, and secure. And this is the type of relationship that Jesus has with God the Father. This morning, we're going to key in on verses 6 through 19 as we looked at verses 1 through 5 last week. And as we look at verses 6 6 through 19, we're going to see that Jesus' prayer here reveals four gifts his followers receive. And the setting of this is Jesus' intimate conversation with God, the Father. He, he, He refers to him as Father. Look at verse 1 again. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son. And we talked about this last week, this posture of a child and a a father. And and the glorification of God in the person of Jesus Christ is as he's lifted up on the cross and he dies in our place on our behalf and then he's raised to new life. So Jesus is preparing his heart for this and he's feeling internal anxiety about what is about to happen. And and, and we see this in the other gospels where he's in the garden of Gethsemane. In the same moment, like Jesus is having this intimate conversation with God and, and he, he sweats blood and he says, Father, if there be any other way, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but your will be done. That's what some of the other gospel writers capture from this prayer. Here, John captures Jesus's intimate heart for God. And so last week we looked at verses one through four, this week six through 19, and I want to see kind of four gifts that are revealed that you and I get to receive from God because who Jesus is. And in Jesus's conversation with God the Father, these gifts come out. Last week, Jesus prayed for himself about his glory and his attachment to God the Father. And now this week, he starts praying about the disciples and their glory, their attachment to God the Father. Next week, we'll look at the last six verses and look at how Jesus prays for you and I. This week, he's praying for the disciples, and and he reveals these gifts that the disciples get because of who God the Father is. And the first one is salvation. Look at verses 6 through 8 with me. Jesus says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of this world. A couple things to note here that disciples, followers of Jesus, we are gods. Like we said this morning with, 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 uh, with, with dedications. We are created in the image and likeness of God. And Jesus, even his posture towards God, is like the people that you gave me out of the world. They're, they're, they're yours, God the Father. They're created in your image and your likeness. And you entrusted the disciples to me the same way, parents, that children are entrusted to us. God is like entrusting the disciples to Jesus' care. He says, I have manifested your name to the people. I have made you known. It's interesting with this, uh, with attachment theory, and, uh, and Dan Siegel, I think, is kind of credited with coming up with the seen, soothed, safe, and secure thing. Jesus, honestly, here is saying that, that because of my life and ministry, my disciples see you, God the Father, and you see them. There's this, there's this thing happening within the salvation connection that we have to God the Father, the gift that we've been given. Jesus says, I have manifested your name to the people. God's name is Yahweh. We knew about him through the Old Testament. God revealed himself through the Old Testament in certain ways. And now in the New Testament, Jesus has come, God in flesh. As Colossians chapter 1 tells us, the image of the invisible God. And Jesus here is saying, what I did is I made you known to the people so that when people see Jesus, they see God the Father. 
when we read the Gospels and we see what Jesus is like, that's revealing to us what God the Father is like. It says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of this world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. Jesus, like a, like a good manager, like a good steward, is caring for the disciples. And they have kept your word. I think that's just a beautiful little reminder. They have kept your word. It, it almost feels like Jesus is proud of his disciples. Right? Like Jesus is choosing to look at the good of the disciples. Now, we've been studying these scriptures for a long time. We know that the disciples were not perfect, right? Yes? Nod your head. Yes? They were failures and screw-ups in so many ways. In fact, hours within this statement, Peter himself is going to deny that he even knew Jesus. Jesus is going to be crucified They're going to run and they're going to hide in fear. And even as Jesus is resurrected, they're going to doubt, they're going to question. Even upon his revealing himself to them upon his resurrection, they're going to be like, are you going to make us a world power now, Jesus? Like, they're not perfect. They're far from perfect. And it's fascinating to me that Jesus says, as he's with God the Father in this intimate moment of prayer, he chooses to look at our best. And he says, they have kept your word. Some of you are far too hard on yourself and other Christians. You're expecting perfection from yourself or other Christians. You're expecting more from yourself and other Christians than Jesus is expecting from you or other Christians. We should encourage one another, choose to look at the best. Hey, hey, they have, Jesus accredits this to them. They have kept your word. They've stayed with me. They're abiding, as he said in John chapter 15. I think that's fascinating. Then he goes on, verse 7, he says, Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. And again, they, they don't know this perfectly. And Jesus is looking through the facade. He's looking through the disciples' failures. He's looking through the disciples' like skin-deep reactions. And he's saying, no, in their heart of hearts. Their desire is to keep your word. Their desire is to know you. They are beginning to day after day, peel back the layers of their own soul and peel back their knowledge about God and be honest about who he is and who they are. They're seeing God more and more for who he is through my life and ministry. Jesus prays to God the Father, now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me. Jesus is saying, I told the disciples what you told me to tell them. I was obedient to you, God the Father, because I love you, I was obedient to you. We've talked about this as we've gone through John 13 through 17, that that obedience follows love. You can obey without love, and that's not at all what God wants. God wants your heart. He wants love. He wants a relationship. And then out of that, obedience comes. So he's saying, I've given them your words, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you have sent me. See, here's the gift of salvation. The gift of salvation is knowing God and believing Jesus. We talked about this last week. Look back at verse 3. Jesus says, And this is eternal life, that they know you. This word know, it's more than just head knowledge. It's experiential knowledge. It's when our intellect and our experience collide. We say, I know about God, and now I actually know him. I have a relationship with him. Go back to verse 8, the second half. 
He says, they have received my word. And so salvation is a gift. It's something for us to receive. It's something for us to open up. It's something for us to enjoy. I think it's Christmas time, right? What good is a gift if it just sits under the tree and goes unopened? Nothing. In the same way, salvation is a gift for us. God, God is like, hey, I've provided it for you. It's, it's free for you. It's my gift to you. And if you want to receive its benefits, receive it. Receive it. Salvation is a gift. And it comes from, as it says in verse 9, he says, they have received um, and they have received them and come to know in truth that I came from you. So there's this knowledge about who Jesus is. There's some, some mental assent about who Jesus is, but also this experience of Jesus. And they have believed that you sent me. And so there's kind of three things that we see here about salvation in verse 8. That salvation is a gift that we open, it's a gift from God, and we open it by receiving the word of God in Jesus Christ. Remember how John chapter 1 said that he is the word who became flesh. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is the logos of God. He is the word of God among us. And so we receive the gift of salvation by opening up our hands and receiving Jesus as he is for who he is and what he's done. And, and then salvation, is a, it's a gift. We open it by knowing God in the person of Jesus Christ. right? Knowing, studying, learning, thinking about who he is, and then also experiencing his grace and forgiveness. That when you fall short, when you miss the mark, when you sin, he's like, yeah, I've forgiven you. I've taken care of you. When you get into his community and you find a ripe, fertile community of God, other people forgive you, and you experience the love of God through other people, that's knowing God in the person of Jesus Christ and the body of Jesus Christ. And then it's believing who Jesus is and trusting what Jesus has done. This is the Greek word pistis, which is all over the book of John. We've talked about this a lot. If you're unsure about salvation, like I don't know if I'm saved, and some people, you, 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 may, uh, you may be saved and you may be questioning your salvation unnecessarily. And we're going to see this in just a minute, but once we're saved, like God promises to hold us and to keep us. And so some of you might be saved and you're questioning it unnecessarily because maybe you have a wrong idea that your salvation is tied to your works or your obedience or your ability to keep God pleased with you. It's what a lot of religion teaches. What Jesus is teaching here, what we're seeing in his intimate prayer from God the Father, is that salvation is a gift given to you. All you need to do is receive it. To, to get to know him in a relational, not a religious way, and to trust who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And then some of you, you may be like, I, I don't think I'm saved. I've never, I've never done any of that. And there's an invitation here for you to come and receive this gift. As Jesus had said earlier in the Gospel of John, in his conversation with Nicodemus in John chapter 3, he says, for God so loved the world that he gave. That's a gift. He gave it away. His only son, that whoever believes in him, whoever pistises, whoever trusts, whoever has faith in him, shall not perish, but will have eternal life. There's a welcome here for all of us to just receive this gift of salvation. It's a gift Keep that in mind. It's not something you can earn. It's not something that you deserve. It's just something that happens to you. 
I was thinking about like a, like a drowning person in a, in a pool or an ocean, and if a lifeguard is to see that person and they, and they go and they save that person, the lifeguard does all the work. Same way, you, you and I were dead in our sins and our trespasses. We are living our lives in rebellion to God, and God says, I have a gift for you, a gift of eternal life. Would you take it? Would you receive it? Jesus here is in his prayer to God the Father, it's revealing to us that salvation is a gift that comes from God. It comes from receiving, it comes from knowing, and it comes from trusting. Secondly, we see here that, that uh, there's a gift of security for us as we follow Jesus. Look at verse 9 through 12. Jesus continues to pray. He says, I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world. Now, some people are like, wow, that seems kind of mean. Does Jesus not care about the rest of the people in the world? No, remember John 3.16? For God so loved the world, the peoples of the world, that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Then in verse 17, it says, God did not come to condemn the world. And and so I think this is fascinating here in verse 9. Jesus says, I am praying for them. Specifically, he has his mind on the disciples. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. It's like this special intimate prayer. You know how sometimes like you just need to be seen, you need to be cared for, or you need to see or care for somebody else specifically, not just generally? Like sometimes you've got a prayer request and and you really want someone to pray for you, not just for the world, but it's like, no, no, see me, hear me, know me. This is the burden I'm carrying. This is the circumstance that I'm walking through. Jesus is seeing his disciples as individuals, not just lumping them in with the whole world. There's a time and a place to to pray worldwide prayers, right? To have a global mindset. But Jesus here is this intimate relational mindset where he's praying specifically for his followers by name, and he knows them. I'm not praying for the world right now. I'm I'm praying for, for the 11 and probably their extended families and their friends and the people that he walked with and he knew, the disciples. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. There's this, there's this possession language that Jesus uses about his followers. It's a good reminder that if we claim to be followers of Jesus, we are not autonomous. We are not our own. We have been bought with a price. We are God's. Life did not originate from our own desire. We did not breathe life into existence. God breathed life into existence, and we are image bearers. And he has possession, he has ownership of us, and specifically the disciples here, he has specific ownership of them because they have said, I choose to follow you, you are my master. Throughout the scriptures, we see Jesus referred to as master and Lord. And yeah, master and Lord, that means I have ownership. Or, or he's the shepherd, we're the sheep. The shepherd owns the sheep, the shepherd cares for the sheep. This prayer is reminding us that, that we praise God are not in charge of our own lives. That's really good, church family, because you and I will make some really poor decisions. And the illusion of control that we grab onto and that we want to have, like it's just an illusion. And praise God that we're not the captain of our own ships. 
that we're not the shepherd of our own flock, that we're not the master of our own lives, but we actually have a master, we actually have a shepherd, we actually have a captain who says, you're mine, I've got you, I will carry the heavy, you can follow me and trust me. He says, all mine, I'm in verse 10, all mine are yours and yours are mine and I am glorified in them. That's just fascinating to me even. Jesus is saying that part of my worth, part of my value, part of my glory is attached to my disciples. He's willing, like Jesus is willing, God the Father who's holy and perfect and other, and Jesus the Son who is holy, perfect and other, the image of the invisible God, is willing to tie his reputation to his disciples. All mine are yours and yours are mine and I am glorified in them. And so again, church family, don't beat yourself up and don't beat other Christians up when we fail because we do. Look at Jesus' heart as he said in verse 6, they kept your word. I want to like argue with Jesus about that. No, they didn't. These fools, he's like, hey, they're mine. They're not yours. Stop criticizing my disciples. <laughs> and, then, and then, do you know how good that feels for me if I put myself in that chair? Because I do wrong things. Any one of you could rightly say, well, Andrew didn't keep your word. And God is like, he's mine. What's it to you? Like, this is God's heart for us and Jesus' heart for his disciples. And, and, and he's saying, they're mine. So, so the wolf, when it comes in to, to, to devour and kill and destroy, these are my sheep out of here, wolf. He's, he's possessive of us in a good way. Verse 11, and he says, And I am no longer in the world but they are in the world. So Jesus is preparing now to ascend to heaven. And he's leaving the disciples behind. He says, I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. I'm going to talk more about what it means to be one next week, because that's the, the premise of the last couple verses there. What I want to see from this verse in verse 11 this morning is just this, this keeping power of God and this desire of Jesus, right? He says, okay, I'm, I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world. So the good shepherd is leaving the sheep and his prayer for the disciples is that God would keep them in his own name, in his own reputation, in his own care, in his own family, that God would envelop them, that God would hold them, that God would keep them, that God would give them security, that we would be protected from ourselves and from others. We're secure in God. This is what Jesus is saying. By Jesus, because of who, of who Jesus is for all of eternity. He says, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. Verse 12. While I was with them, I kept them in your name. So that's the whole purpose of Jesus' life and ministry. It's like to find these sheep and to hold these sheep and to guard these sheep and to protect these sheep and to hem these sheep in. That's Jesus' heart for the disciples. Like, I want you to flourish. I want you to flourish. Stay with me. Flourish with me. Walk with me. Abide with me. I have guarded them. I'm in the middle of verse 12. Jesus is a protector. I have guarded them. And not one of them has been lost. This is that security piece. 
Like Jesus protects us. He guards us. He doesn't lose his sheep. He says, except for the son of destruction, speaking about Judas, who we saw Judas in chapter 13, speaking about the son of destruction, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. And so if anyone leaves the community, it's because they were never really genuinely a part of the community. And Judas specifically, it's to fulfill scripture. This was a prophecy that somebody would betray Jesus. Verse 13, as we move into the next gift that we get is sanctification. Jesus says, but now I am coming to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Again, there's, there's that protector, there's that security piece. Jesus is saying, protect them, keep them, hold them. Verse 16, they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they may also be sanctified in truth. The promise here for us, the gift here for us, is that as we enter the flock of God or as we enter the family of God, He is sanctifying us, making us whole, making us new. This word sanctify, it it has quite a few uh, meanings. It it means to like be made holy. It means to be called out. It means to be set apart. It means to progressively be cleaned up to become the holiness that we are. Like in the Old Testament, they they would sanctify things in the temple to set it apart as holy. What Jesus is saying here is that his disciples have been set apart for God's purposes. He's saying that they have been declared holy. They've been called out of the world. They've been transferred from the kingdom of of darkness into the kingdom of light, declared holy, and now we're progressively cleaned up to become the holiness that we are. It's beautiful. Jesus here is is saying that there's this gift for my people that they would become more like me. That my truth would do something in them. That my truth would change them from the inside out for their own good. Look at verse 13. He says, for joy. That they may have joy fulfilled in themselves. This is Jesus' heart for his followers. This, This idea that we are becoming who we were actually created to be. There's great joy in finding congruence in our lives. And Jesus' heart for his disciples is that they would find congruence between their beliefs and their actions, or, or their head and their hearts, if you would put it that way, and their hands. Like kind of the internal who we are and the external how we act. Joy comes from finding congruence between who we are and how we act. Joy comes from realizing who we are and, and what we do and the two of those more and more matching up over time. Like our gospel identity, we talk about that a lot at Park Community Church. Who are we? We are sons and daughters. We are brothers and sisters. We are neighbors and witnesses. And then when our actions align with that, we experience joy. We experience life in God. Joy comes from finding congruence between how were we create, how we were created to live and then living in that way like our our purpose and our practice when these things come together. This is what sanctification is. It's when you and I become more of who we are. When I was in high school, my coach declared me 
starting shortstop, and, <laughs> and this was after a game that I made five errors. Every single ball hits me. If you know nothing about baseball, an error is when you just don't do it right, right? Self-explanatory. The ball hits you, and you don't get the out. In this one game, I made five errors. Every single ball that hits me, it either went through my legs or I made a bad throw to first base. And my coach still believed in me after that game. It was fa- it was, this was really transformative, and, it, and this is a way that I understand the gospel. He's like, Andrew, you're my shortstop. I'm like, I screwed up. Every single ball hit to me. And he's like, I believe in you. I, I declared you my shortstop. You're, you are my shortstop. He's like, you can meet me here at practice, or you can stick around after practice for an extra hour, and I'll hit you balls, and we'll practice, and we'll practice, and we'll practice, and we'll practice. But I'm not removing you from this position. And over time, I got better. I made a few less errors. This is how God looks at us. He's like, I declare you holy. Jesus is saying, sanctify them, God, in the truth. Your word is truth. Set them apart. Give them a position. Give them a name. Give them security in you. And then grow them up to match the identity that I've given them. That's how sanctification works. And then lastly, this last gift is that we are sent, that he's ascending God. And this is kind of tied to the sanctification piece. Look at verse 18. He says, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And remember, Jesus here is about to send back, ascend into heaven. And, he, and remember, this is what we celebrate at Christmas, that God descended. He condescended to walk among us, God in flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is saying, you sent me, God. I went where you told me to go. And he's saying, the same way that you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For the the good of the world. That they would be ambassadors of Jesus Christ. And the way that you and I go into the world as ambassadors of Jesus Christ is to be a sanctified people. A people who are growing in holiness in desire to be more and more like Jesus and through the gift of his Holy Spirit, we are gaining the ability to be more and more like Jesus day after day after day after day. Sometimes it's like two days forward, one day back. And this is what Jesus is saying. I, I, I've sent them into the world and I am sanctifying them in this process. Verse 19, it says, and for their sake, I consecrate myself. Jesus sets himself apart that they may also be sanctified, consecrated, called out, set apart in God's truth. These are promises. These are gifts for the followers of Jesus that we will be saved, that we will be kept to our salvation by the power of God, that we will be transformed from the inside out by the power of God, for the glory of God, and that we will be sent out into the world for the good of our neighbor. This is the process of walking with Jesus and the promise that we see from Jesus' heart in his dying moment. As he approaches his dying moment. And as we transition to communion this morning, I I just want to notice in verse 18, this first part, he says, as you sent me into the world. As we think about coming to the table, as we think about this Christmas season, it's God in flesh walking among us. When we take communion every week at Park Community Church, that's what it reminds us of, that God condescended, walked among us in flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. 
He died in our place, overcame sin and death in the grave, and now we eat bread to remember his body given for us. And we drink the cup to remember his blood shed for the forgiveness of our sins. This morning, I want to close out by reading from 1 John chapter 4. Near the end of the author of this gospel's life, he writes a letter to the church. And he says, In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we thank you for who you are, that you lived a perfect life, that you gave your life as a sacrifice in our place and on our behalf, that you overcame sin and death in the grave, you ascended to God, God the Father, you sent the Holy Spirit, and now we have new life. We have power to live the life that you desire us to live. And so, Lord, I pray that you would meet us where we're at this morning. Even as we come to the table this morning, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would nourish us with your spirit. Jesus, we thank you for your heart revealed here in this prayer, your heart for us, your heart for your followers, and the promise that there is salvation, that there is security, that there is sanctification, and that there is ascending for each one of us. We come to the table this morning hungry for you. In Jesus' name, amen.